0: you have your Bibles, turn them to 1 John 3.1. And I'm just going to read the first verse. How great a love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we're just gonna today we're gonna we're gonna look at part two of the quick overview of the doctrine of adoption and the new covenant. And my prayer again, and I've been praying for all of us that we would search the scriptures to have a more deeper, more biblical understanding of this doctrine of adoption which Peter Masters calls the crown jewel of God's grace in Christ. And as John Murray writes, adoption is the apex of redemptive grace and privilege. And as last time I started off with what motivates Christians to live in the manner in which they live, And I wrote, the doctrine of adoption in the New Covenant should be a key motivation in every aspect of our lives as slaves of Christ and children of God. And John L. Gerardo wrote, adoption is an act of God's free grace, whereby for the sake of Christ, he formally translates the regenerate from the family of Satan into his own and legally confirms them in all of the rights, immunities, and privileges of his children. And that's what we're looking at. See how great a love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. Thomas Watson put it this way. Adoption is a mercy spun out of the bowels of free grace. All by nature are strangers, therefore have no right to sonship. Only God is pleased to adopt one and not another, to make one a vessel of glory and another a vessel of wrath. The adopted heir may cry out, Lord, how is it that thou wilt show yourself to me and not unto the world? He also wrote, when we are born again, God delivers us from Satan's enslaving family and by his astounding grace transfers us to the father's sonship. He calls us sons. We are adopted into his family, transferred from a state of sin and misery to a state of excellency and dignity. He goes on, he says, It were much for God to take a clot of dust and make it a star. It is more for God to take a piece of clay and sin and adopt it for his heir. I just really like that statement. When I, when I read this verse with John, you know, see how great a love the Father has for us that we should be called the children of God. Does that motivate you? So in part one of this series, as we looked at about a month ago, I established what the doctrine of adoption is and how adoption is distinct, but never separated from regeneration, justification, and sanctification. And today I want to present to you some of the responsibilities and obligations for the children adopted by God and who are now looked upon and called the children of God. This is something that comes with responsibilities, with obligations. And not only are we commanded to perform these, but God gives us the desires to do them. That's the beauty of adoption. So before we look at these um, responsibilities and obligations, I just want to I want to point out three topics that should help us understand a little more clearly on how the adopted children of God can and will fulfill these responsibilities and obligations in their daily living as children of God. And I want to go over just three things. Number one is knowing that it's the triune God that works in our adoption, So it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they are all involved in the process of adoption. And so we'll look at these real quick. And this will will give us confidence that, that we can and we should desire to fulfill the obligations that we will look at later. Because it is the triune God working in and through us. So I put first the Father's role in our adoption. God the Father chose predestined, set his love upon, and sent his only begotten son for the purpose of adopting a people for himself. And Rick just read some of the scripture reading to that, so we'll, we'll skip that for the sake of time. But John Tennant said, it is not any dignity or merit in us, but the pure, incomprehensible, and eternal love of God that leads to our adoption. What a wonder of love this is. So let's look at the son's role. The son redeems or purchases the children of God through his active and passive obedience. And if you've read the old confessions, you would know that that's the gospel. Um, I'll read these Bible verses. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And then 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. The Son's role. John Tennant spoke of this as well. He said, on the price of adoption. It was not purchased with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of the Son of God. As of a lamb without spot, it was not purchased with a great sum of money, such as the chief captain purchased his freedom with in Acts twenty-two twenty-eight. Nor was it purchased with an abundance of foreskins of the Philistines, whereby David purchased his sonship from the king. No, the Son of God must descend from the bosom of the Father and assume the likeness of man, and give his glory and have his glory veiled in a mantle of flesh. Jesus must be humbled and abased to the death. Yes, must become a curse and a sin for us that we might obtain this eternal blessedness. That's the son's role in your adoption if you've been adopted by God. The Holy Spirit's role. The Holy Spirit causes the children of wrath to have a new nature as children of God through a generation, and indwells them and applies the legal status of adoption to the adopted children of God by witnessing to them that they are the children of God. And the Holy Spirit seals them as sons and daughters for the day of the final redemption. Holy Spirit's role. I'll skip the scripture reading on that part, but we'll look at what Stephen Marshall wrote about the Holy Spirit's role. He wrote, the Holy Spirit changes us from children of wrath, which we were by nature, into children of God by means of regeneration. He unites us to Christ, works in us a suitable disposition toward God and Christ, and seals our sonship as the spirit of adoption, witnessing with our spirits that we are the sons of God. In that witnessing, the Spirit shows us God's work of grace in our hearts and lives, and also carries our hearts to God, and testifies to the soul that God is our Father. That's the work of the Holy Spirit and the doctrine of adoption. Let's move on to this uh, second point I wanted to make. And and this point is um, the error that God only has a judicial standard and does not have a parental standard for his adopted children which leads to what Greg Nichols calls perfectionism and negative perfectionism. And these are common errors in our thinking, in our parenting, and in the way we look at God. We only see him as a judge according to the judicial standard, and not a heavenly father who loves you as a parent and has a parental standard. So perfectionism... It means God only has a judicial standard and demands sinless perfection, period. You must strive for perfection and must achieve perfection before God can ever be pleased with you as his child. And that's a common belief in some denominations. But we don't want to go the other way. Negative perfection means God is only pleased with sinless perfection, And because Christians cannot and will not in this life ever achieve sinless perfection, they can never be pleasing to God. Do some of you think and feel that way? God the judge is pleased with you in Christ. God the Father is pleased with you out of that gospel obedience that we talked about on Wednesday, and we'll look at a little bit more. But both of these errors, they seem to deny the doctrine of adoption. And they discourage us from serving God and offering acceptable sacrifices to please Him, since we can never please Him. These errors diminish our thanksgiving towards God for all He has accomplished for us and in us. And these errors kill our motivation to be imitators of God and give him glory. So we want to have a healthy healthy understanding of God's parental standard in our lives as our loving Heavenly Father. Do you struggle with those errors? Go to the scriptures, search them out. How does God treat his adopted children? So the third thing I wanted to point out was the doctrine of adoption causes gospel obedience. And Brian Borgman said on this, The doctrine of adoption should be the primary governing lens through which I look at God and think of myself as a Christian, and it should be the controlling principle for my obedience to God my Father. Jeremiah Burroughs wrote, Let childlike reverence overflow in love to your father, a love that constrains you to employ all means of grace, to obey his commands, and to work for him. Do all you do out of love. Be not mercenary. A servant doth not care to do anything any further than he may be paid for, but a child doth what he doth out of love. Let that cause your obedience to God. Do it out of childlike reverence, childlike fears Rick talked about to the the boys and to the men on Saturday. Childlike love towards your father. So let's move on to these responsibilities and obligations that I talked about. These are the obligations of being the adopted children of God our Father, and I want to present to you three of them. And these three responsibilities and obligations being the adopted children of God, we'll just start here. Number one, the adopted children of God the Father are obligated and responsible to please and to be pleasing to God their Father. As adopted children of God the Father, we are commanded to please our Father, and our new desire is to be pleasing to God our Father and obey Him in Christ our Lord. I put here for our, our passage 1st Thessalonians 4:1 Finally then brothers we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us on how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing that you do so more and more please God in all you do more and more Hebrews 13:20 20 through 21 Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our lord Jesus Christ the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to him be the glory forever and ever amen so these are just a couple of scriptures that point us it's god that is working in us to please him and we are commanded to please him so before we were adopted by god the father and outside of the new covenant in jesus christ we were dead in our sins under the curse with adam children of the devil sons of disobedience without faith and we had no desire to please god nor could we be pleasing to god according to romans 8 7 verses, verses 7 and 8 for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But if you are adopted, you are in Christ. You can please God by your obedience. Hebrews eleven five 5 through 6. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken... He was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So as we go through these, continually think about the first three topics. This is the triune God working in your adoption. He is not judging you with a judicial standard, but a parental standard. And it's the doctrine of adoption that should drive you to want to follow these commands, to want and desire to take on these responsibilities as the adopted children. I put here, when the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ comes with power and saves a child of the devil, that child becomes a new creation in Christ, is adopted by God the Father, and is now being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Or in other words, that child is becoming more and more Christ-like. Look what God the Father says about our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Look at what the Master says about pleasing his Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. If you are trying to be Christ-like, you are doing the things that pleases his Father. So that raises the question that should be answered carefully. How must children please God the Father? And I'm going to answer this in two ways that I observed in 1 John, if you turn to 1 John 3 and verses 22 to 24, and it says, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And we saw right there, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. So the two ways I'll answer this. First, we see there in first John, John 3 and 22 through 24, that the adopted children of God can only please God according to God's word, his commandments. And these verses are referring to his holy scriptures alone. Pleasing God is not self-directing or self-interpreting, in other words we cannot please God by coming up with our own ways and our own works that we have decided pleases him. And at the same time we must understand that what pleases man may not be pleasing to God. But may be an enmity with God and detestable to God. I'll read a couple of verses. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And then in Titus, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So there's a way that seems right to man that leads to destruction. We want to please him by looking at his word, being obedient to his word. So second there, in 1 John 3, 22 and 24, the adopted children of God are pleasing to God when by his grace the adopted children are obedient to God's word. We keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And the focus here is that obedience to God's word by his adopted children, pleases him. This is what pleases him. And you can, you will, you must please him. Do you desire to please him? Do you, by God's grace and power, keep his commandments in order to please him? Do you understand now that on one hand... God the Father gives rewards to His adopted children that keep His commandments and are pleasing to Him. And on the other hand, God the Father is not pleased and does not reward His adopted children that disobey His commands. And we're going to look at some scripture on that. If you turn to Matthew 6, and we'll start in verse 1. And it could be that you've never heard teaching or been taught about pleasing and displeasing your heavenly Father, although you should have. After your conversion, or in other words, after you've been adopted by him, let's listen to what the Master teaches the adopted children of God on how they can displease and please their Father who is in heaven. And as I go through these verses, I want to remind you of the context here in Matthew 6, that Jesus is not preaching on how to be justified or saved, but Jesus is preaching to those who have already been adopted and saved by God. And as I go through these verses, I, I want to separate them by what is displeasing and what is pleasing to God the Father. So in Matthew chapter one here, or 6 and verse 1 and 2, this is what's displeasing. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So if you're doing these, you're displeasing God your Father. But go on to verses 3 and 4 in Matthew. This is what's pleasing to God. Matthew 6, 3 and 4. But when you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That pleases your Father. Your giving pleases your Father. Your giving in secret. And then displeasing, Matthew 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And then Matthew 6, 6, this is what pleases God. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is what pleases God, your Father. praying to him in secret. Matthew six sixteen. this is displeasing to the Father. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And then 17 and 18, pleasing. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. See, when God is pleased with his children, he does reward them. We're not talking about works righteousness. We're talking about obedience caused by loving your father. So I hope you see from these verses that Jesus is teaching the newly adopted children of God how they must now live in order to please God and enjoy God their father and his rewards. And I also hope you see in these verses that Jesus is not teaching on what someone must do to please God and to be saved. And that Jesus is not teaching that someone who displeases God can lose their salvation. And nowhere does it say that you lose your salvation because he's not pleased with you. But it does say he will discipline you and instruct you. So listen to this statement by Greg Nichols on this. He says, God is our gracious heavenly father is pleased with, accepts, and rewards Christians and our gospel obedience, our gospel devotion, even though it is not sinless or perfect or spotless. That's all wrapped up in Christ. God can and will be pleased with you. Devote your living to him. Devote your lives to him as obedient children. So number two here. On the obligations and responsibilities. The adopted children of God the Father are obligated and responsible to be imitators of God their Father. As adopted children of God the Father, we are commanded to imitate God our Father. And our new desire is to be conformed to the image or imitators of God our Father and obey him in Christ our Lord. And this stems from Ephesians 5 verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And how did this start? This started in Genesis when our triune God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So so God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. But the first man, Adam, sinned against God, and sin came into the world through Adam, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Therefore all men are under the headship of Adam and have become children of the devil, and instead of being imitators of God, they become imitators of their Father, the devil, just as Jesus says in John 8:44. But in 2 Corinthians 5:17 it says, "Therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If you are adopted, and you are in Christ, you are a new creation. And as Christians, we are being conformed to the image of Christ. Romans eight twenty nine. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. 1 John 3, 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And most of you have been taught we need to be conformed to the image of Christ. We need to be imitators of Christ. And as we heard, I believe that was last week, we imitate Paul as he imitates Christ, as Greg taught us, but that leads to imitating the Father. And I wrote here, as Christians obey their Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, they bear the image of the Father, just as Jesus is the perfect image of the Father. John 1, 17 through 18, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And then Jesus, talking to his disciples, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me Has seen the Father. And there in that beautiful passage in Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God, talking about Jesus the Son. It was his role to imitate the Father in the human form, in the human flesh. And if you read through the book of John, you'll see over 30 times he talks about that relationship with his Father, doing the will of my Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It shows you that father-son relationship in all eternity. If you just read straight through the book of John, you'll see it. So our Lord and Master himself gives the adopted children of God, their father, the instructions on how they are to imitate their father as he commands them to be like their father. And before we read these words that I spoke about, or that, that I'm speaking of, that Jesus spoke to the crowds... I want to remind you that Jesus is not instructing the people on how they can be saved. And if you turn to Matthew 5, verse 43, and he is instructing the adopted children on how they must now live. So this isn't how you must be saved, but how you shall now live. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And all he's saying is imitate your Father. Love love your enemies like your Father has loved you when you were an enemy. In Luke 6, 32-36, it says, Jesus says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? and reward and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil be merciful even as your father is merciful what's he saying he's saying be exactly like your father imitate him i wrote down here a child imitating his or her parent is the most natural thing in the life of that child as they grow up, no matter if their parents are good or evil. If you give careful examination of a family, you will see that the children in the family, whether biological children or adopted, they will be imitators of their parents. The children in the family will talk, walk, and act just like their parents it seems that in most cases the children will even struggle with and revel in the same sins as their parents. So it's not hard to be like your parents. It's just something that comes natural. Now that you're an adopted child of God, be like your father, imitate him. And the question is, do you have the desire to be an imitator of God, your father? My other question, in what ways have you become an imitator of God your Father? He's kind. He shows you what he's doing in you. So let's move on to number three. And I kind of, when I was thinking about these three, I was thinking progressive. If you're pleasing to God, you start to imitate God. And this will lead to the third one. So it's it's, you're just progressively getting, you're growing from a child into an adult, still an adopted child of God, just growing up into adulthood. So number three, the adopted children of God the Father are obligated and responsible to do good works so that the world will see them and glorify God. As adopted children of God the Father, we are commanded to live in obedience to God and do good works in such a way according to his word that the world will see them and give glory to God. So before we were adopted by God the Father through the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, all of the works that we did when we were under the headship of Adam and dead in our sins, we did to be seen by others so that they would be ex- so that we would be exalted. Everything we did was for us. These works that we did outside of Christ and an unbelief showed that both our minds and our consciences were defiled and were detestable in the sight of God. But then God in his great mercy and loving kindness saved us and purified us to do good works for him. And this is what Titus says, chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's one of the reasons you were adopted, so that you would be zealous for good works. Titus 3, verses 4 through 8. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. We were made to do good works for God. Devote yourselves to good works. So I want to show you two passages in the New Testament where the adopted children Of God are commanded to live in obedience to God and do good works in such a way that the world will see them and give glory to God. If we are made to do these good works and we're made to perform them in an unbelieving world so that the world would see them and glorify God, let's look at some passages that talk about it. So, first passage. If you turn to Matthew 5, verse 1 again. And our Lord and Master gives the adopted children of God their Father the instructions on how they must live and do good works amongst the unbelieving world in such a way that the unbelieving world sees these good works and gives glory to God. And as we read these verses, I want to let you know... That every adopted child of God must and will, by God's grace, perform everything that Jesus is teaching throughout the Beatitudes. We do not separate each of these good works for certain Christians and not others. So when you read these Beatitudes, these are all for you. Yes, some people are better here and better here, but these are all for the adopted children of God. Each adopted children should be performing everything in the Beatitudes. By his grace. So we'll start in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Everything he just said is for this purpose. So you are doing these so that the unbelieving world, as they persecute you, will see these good works and give God glory for what he's done in you taking that old creation from a new creation, taking that son of a devil and adopting them as an heir of God. So the doctrine of adoption produces gospel obedience in the adopted children of God in such a way that his children have a zeal to do good works in the midst of unbelievers who are speaking evil against them. And yet the adopted children continue by God's grace to perform good works with the desire that the world would see these good works And give glory to God. That's why we work so hard. That's why we work in the way we work. That's why we talk the way we talk. That's why we can't just be in a little Christian bubble all the time. We must go out into the world. Let them see what God has done. So one commentator writes on the Sermon on the Mount, We are so to live that men may see our good works, but glorify not us, but our Father who is in heaven. How difficult to function truly as an active Christian and yet not have any showmanship. This is true even in our listening to the gospel, quite apart from our preaching of it. As we produce and, re- and reveal it in our daily lives, we must remember that the Christian does not call attention to himself. Self has been forgotten in this poverty of spirit, in the meekness and all the other qualities identified in the Beatitudes. In other words, we are to do everything for God's sake, for his glory. Self is to be absent and must be utterly crushed in all its subtlety for Christ's sake and for the Father's glory. It also follows from this that we are to do things in such a way as to lead other men to glorify him, to glory in him and to give themselves to him. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works. Yes, so they see them that they themselves will glorify your Father. You are to do so in order that these other people may come to glorify Him also. So you're doing this so others will see it and glorify God as you glorify God. So second, we're going to look at 1 Peter 2 verse 12. And there's actually Philippians 2.14, we won't look at today, but it's, it's saying the same thing that Jesus just said in the Beatitudes. We went through it as a church a while back, so we're, we're not going to look at that today. We'll look at 1 Peter instead. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And I'll just give you the context for this verse. Peter is writing to the adopted children of God and giving these adopted children instructions on how they must live. We see that in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 19. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And it seems when Peter writes this verse, 1 Peter 2.12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, he's thinking of these words that his master spoke to him as we just looked at in Matthew 5, 1 through 16 He's thinking about what he heard on that Sermon on the Mount. Hearing those Beatitudes... And also, he saw this happen in Jesus' life. Peter saw this with his own eyes, how the Lord Jesus conducted himself as he performed good deeds, and the crowds who saw them gave glory to God. Well, I'll read those to you. Matthew 9, and getting into the boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on the bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God. Doesn't say they believed, but they saw the works of Christ, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. Luke 7, 11 through 16. Soon afterwards, he went into a town called Nain, And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he near the gate of the town, behold, a man who died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. But the whole purpose, they glorified God. They saw the works he did, even though they were in fear, they glorified God. So Peter had saw these taking place before he had written 1 Peter. And so these are probably in his mind. So now I want to just, we'll just look at a few moments, give a quick look at this 1 Peter 2.12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And Peter starts this verse with a command, keep. What are we to Keep. Keep your conduct honorable and perform good deeds. So Peter is stating here that as adopted children of God who are living out their lives with, besides, and amongst the Gentiles or otherwise known as unbelievers, that the adopted children of God should live their day-to-day lives as living testimonies of the grace of God as new creations by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The adopted children of God must, as Peter has previously written to them, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander and abstain from the passions of the flesh. The adopted children of God must live and speak in the midst of unbelievers in such a godly way that it is not a stumbling block to unbelievers, but it is a distinct lifestyle that is set apart as Christian. The adopted children of God must also live morally good, highly esteemed for their good work patterns, and praiseworthy of being good neighbors in the sight of the unbelieving world. These are all things that are just day-to-day things, hour-to-hour, minute-to-minute. Peter points out two ways in which the Gentile unbelievers will react when they see how the power of God's gospel has transformed these adopted children of God and how God's grace causes the adopted children of God to keep their conduct honorable and perform good deeds so the first, first thing Peter points out they're going to see the way you keep your conduct and they will speak against you as you are the evildoers the Gentile unbelievers will speak against God's adopted children as evildoers because of their godly lifestyles among the Gentiles and Peter writes about this, he, he writes about this in 1 Peter 4, 3 and 4. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passion, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. So because of your godly life, You don't join into this stuff, although you are in the midst of these people. And they malign you. They speak of you as the evildoer. It's just natural for an unbeliever to do that. Get used to it. Still, we're supposed to conduct ourselves in an honorable fashion, right? Number two, Peter says that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And the word see here means that they are going to watch carefully with examination. Other Bible translations, they use the words behold or observe. Peter also uses this same word when he writes to the Christian wives on how they should conduct themselves in the way in which they live with a husband who does not obey God's word. And that's 1 Peter 3.2, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And this is not just a see where they're looking at you. They're examining everything about you. You may not see it. You may not know it. But they are examining your life before them. To see if you're a hypocrite. To see if this gospel actually worked in you. And this is the most important part of the verse in First 2.12. And that is that Gentile unbelievers may see the good deeds of God's adopted children and glorify God. Peter is saying that the unbelieving world is watching how the adopted children live their day-to-day lives after God's gospel has transformed them from the children of darkness to the children of light. They are watching. They will speak evil. They will malign you. They will persecute you. As Jesus said in Matthew, continue to live godly lives. He doesn't say fight back. He says continue living a godly life before them. Listen to Albert Martin's comments on this verse. He says, You saints scattered abroad through Asia Minor, as you are determined to wage war against anything that wages war on the state of your soul, and as you commit yourselves to an honorable lifestyle of careful, meticulous obedience to God, living to his praise. Living out the dispositions of the Beatitudes among the Gentiles, what will happen? Your godly lifestyle as the child of God will be a powerful evangelical, evangelistic tool, so that when God comes in power through the gospel, they will have seen its influence in your good works, and those good works have burrowed their way into their consciences. So that in the day of God's visitation in power and in grace, they will glorify God, saying, this gospel is true. I saw it in John. I saw it in Mary. I saw it in Pete. I saw it in his life. Day after day in the workplace, when the latest dirty joke was told, he slipped out of the room. I saw it in the way he responded, when the boss was churlish and nasty, and as all of us gathered in the lunchroom and bad the boss, His mouth was shut, and he sat quietly reading a book. We saw it when one of the young ladies came in dressed like a harlot, and all the guys nudged one another and made comments about her backside and her bosom. His eyes were turned away. We saw it in his good works, and I can go on and on and on in the day when God mercifully comes to deal with one of those sinners That are yet in the kingdom of darkness and in the family of the evil one. They will glorify God in the day of visitation and say, thank you, God. I saw a real Christian. I see that the gospel stuff is not a bunch of talk. It's reality. I saw it in the life of John. I saw it in the life of Mary. I cannot deny. And they glorify God in the day of visitation. In Philippians it says, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And some of them are going to be saying, I saw what a Christian was. I have no excuse. Let that someone be you. Conduct yourselves in a way where they'll see your good deeds and glorify God. Is it your desire that God be glorified? Think about that in your personal, daily lives, with your relationships with unbelievers, whether they're children, spouses, co-workers, people at the gas station, at the store, marketplace, people in the courthouse as We walk by them to go to church, and they're going to exercise, right? Have you been adopted by God's grace through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the witness of the Spirit will let you know. Think about it. Ask yourself. Ask God to show it to you. And then listen to John Tennant. We'll close right here. He says, "Now upon the faithful and preserving performance of these and other necessary duties, God in His own blessed time will help you to the full sense of that which your soul longs for, even your adoption." so that working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, you will at last be received with a well-done, good, and faithful servant. And enter those triumphant regions where singing eternal requiems will be your everlasting work and where you will be constantly admiring with the glorified saints the amazing love that brought you there. He said, Then you will live just then you will have just occasion to say with the Apostle in our text, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called sons of God. Amen.